why and how do we worship? When I was uh, getting ready to, or preparing for the, the words, the, uh, the message I wanted to bring forth this morning, I was reminded years ago of an incident where um, when Mary and I were living in North Carolina, and we came out of this restaurant one day, and we ran into a local pastor that we knew there. And um, as we were just standing there talking in the parking lot, we happened to notice we're standing in front of this bright, shiny, new Porsche 911 sports car. And, you know, we're just kind of looking at this. It looks pretty nice. And um, just so happened the pastor's young teenage son was with him, and uh, he, began, he began to mimic bowing down to the Porsche. Now, I wanted to tell that this boy was a godly young man, and he was just doing it to be humorous and kind of tease his dad a little bit. Uh, in fact, the pastor said, oh, no, you know, what's people, what people going to think? Here I am in a public place. My son is bowing down to a Porsche. You know, but, again, it was just was done in a, in a, a funnier, humorous moment. But that incident kind of just brought to mind to me uh, when I was preparing my sermon that uh, in thinking it in line with worship. Now, that Porsche, or Porsche, I guess as some people call it, was something to be desired. Uh, it was something to covet. It represents power, success, affluence, and it sometimes produces envy. So, we, you know, we would never say we worship things, whether it's a car, a house, a piece of jewelry, or something like that. But do we ever, sometimes, ever so subtly, without our realizing, kind of put some of these things in our lives to, to kind of preoccupy our mind and our time? We put value on things, but how much do we put value on our relationship with our Heavenly Father? And if we do value our relationship with Him, then how do we show it? How do we express it? So this sermon, this message is about why and how we worship. So first of all, why do we worship? Uh, if we go to our first um, scripture reference, Exodus chapter 20 and verses 2 through 6. First of all, we worship God because he commands it. Now let's read this. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath it or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So that's pretty straightforward when you think of it. Um, it's a commandment. It says, you will worship me. It says, as part of his instructions to us, God commands us to worship him. Don't be making any idols, and this includes Porsche sports cars. So, now, let's say you, you, had a, you have a great day, and you say, hey, I'm going to worship him today. You're happy, you're blessed, and you say, I'm going to sing praises, I'm going to give him thanks, and I'm going to honor him. But what if things didn't go your way today, or whatever that day was? What if you got to work, and your boss started yelling at you after all that report you put in the day before, or that spreadsheet you fill? It had mistakes in it. You know, you're embarrassed, you're feeling down. Or you went to go and you, you got in your car and you 
click, click, nothing's happening, right? You're late for your appointment. You, uh, let's say you had an argument with your spouse. It just, it's a bad day. Do you get a pass on worship because things weren't going your way or you don't feel like it? On the contrary, he commanded it. And in fact, on days like that, you maybe need to be worshiping him, worshiping him more than ever. But he does give us free will, and we must activate it. We must activate it within ourselves, our own hearts and our souls. So, first of all, the why we worship is because he commanded it. Secondly, it's our way of giving thanks and acknowledging who he is. Let's just look at this exhortation in the book of Chronicles. Chronicles chapter 1, verse 20, uh, Chapter 29, excuse me, verses 11 through 13. And this is uh, King David praying, right? And this is before the temple was built. He says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So we worship to acknowledge him for who he is. After all, he is our creator. He's the one who delivered us. He's the one who saved us. He delivers us out of slavery in Egypt, and he saves us in eternal life through Yeshua HaMashiach. We acknowledge him for what he has done for us. We acknowledge him for his greatness. And we thank him for all that he has blessed us with. We thank him for always being there. We give him honor, thanksgiving, and praise. Let's look at another scripture reference. And that is in Psalm 100. This psalm is, is a psalm of giving praise, for giving grateful praise. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. And praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endureth forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We keep hearing this, this recurring theme in all these verses. Thankfulness, honor, and praise. Thankfulness, honor, and praise, acknowledging him. It's building positive habits when you think of it. Remember when you were taught as a child to say thank you? to show respect for your elders, your grandparents, your teachers. Remember when they say, you know, when somebody gave you, say, what do you say? Thank you, right? When we become adults, we teach that thankfulness and that same honor and respect, respect in our children. How much more, then, is it important to teach our children to love, honor, and respect and praise the Lord? We acknowledge his goodness. We're acknowledging that, that we are his, being thankful for his love in us. Worshiping 
is living a life of thankful praise. It is living a thankful life. Thirdly, worship is a means by which we invite him into our presence. In Psalm 22, verse 3, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people Israel. God inhabits the praises of his people Israel. Whenever we come together and worship, we become a habitation for his presence. Stated another way, God comes to dwell where his people are worshiping. And that's what we've been doing here this morning. A really beautiful example of this is recorded in 2 Chronicles in chapter 5. This is at the dedication of Solomon's temple now. This is after the temple's been built, this beautiful temple. And here's what we read. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be there? I mean, I... I mean, I get excited when I, I read that. Think about, man, what, what it must have been like. How exciting. How awesome and joyful. Through their praise and worship, God came to dwell among them. Doesn't your heart desire, to, doesn't it burn within you to experience that kind of awesome praise of the Lord? It was a beautiful and awesome time. So, God commands us to worship. We worship to show our thankfulness, to honor him, acknowledge him. We worship because it's a means by we, us inviting him into our presence. So that's the why. What about the, the how? How do we worship? Now, there are all kinds of ideas about, out there about how you should worship. In fact, at times, this can cause much disagreement among the followers of Yeshua. The way a worship service is conducted is not the same at any two locations. In fact, um, you think there are many different styles of worship in churches around the world. Well, what about, I'd, I'd say there's not even two Messianic congregations that have the same type of worship service. Some are liturgical. Some are more contemporary. We have a pretty unique way of worshiping here um, because... We're both liturgical and contemporary on our Shabbat service. So if someone asks you, is, is Tikvot Israel, is it, is it traditional? Is it contemporary? You can say yes, because it's both. It really is. And um, I, th I think that's a, a wonderful, unique thing we have here, and it's a blessing. So... It should, what style should it be? Should it be contemporary, traditional? Should it be this? Should it be that? This is what I do know. Worship involves 
all aspect of human personality. It's physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. Most people recognize that worship ought to be spiritual from the heart, right? And that there should, should be some thought behind it, thinking about what you're, you're saying, you're singing, whatever, okay? But there is some uneasiness when we talk about it involving our emotions in physical expression. The living God has created in us a response mechanism that expresses joy when we are happy, or elation and shouting and victory, for example. You know, whenever you're attending a sporting event, you hear shouts of joy, elation, cheering, clapping. Similarly, if you uh, attend a, a secular concert somewhere, you're going to hear a lot of cheering, clapping, people singing along. I mean, even a, a classical music recital has, you know, has, has applause at the end. People have rousing applause. So worship involves physical expression, but it's founded on biblical guidelines. Among the physical expressions of worship found in Scripture are kneeling, prostrating before the Lord, clapping our hands, even raising hands, verbalizing our praise, singing songs and psalms, dancing before the Lord, bearing witness, that's saying amen, amen, even standing, even just silence. Regardless of how we worship, we are taught to do everything decently and in order. If we look at a scripture reference for this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, it says, let all things be done decently and in order. That is, we don't provoke one another or seek to draw attention to ourselves by our manner of worship. We show consideration for our fellow worshipers. I'm reminded of something once I heard, or I can't remember if I read that, that Paul Wilbur, the Messianic worship leader, once said. He was commenting on the use of tambourines at a congregation he appeared at. Now, he didn't have anything necessarily against tambourines, but he described how distracting it was when he was trying to lead worship, and he had all these different tambourines going off in the congregation. And the problem was they weren't necessarily keeping in tempo with what he was playing. So it was extremely distracting. So, you know, that, that's why I say, you know, everything has to be done decently in order and in consideration for your, your fellow believers. The thing is that decency and order wins the day in the end. And remember this, do everything in love. Love towards God first and to your fellow worshipers. Shaul's letter to the Philippians sums up one final point that I want to make here, and that's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God raised him up, that is Yeshua, to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that in honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai, to the glory of God the Father. Our salvation, our redemption, 
is through Yeshua, our Messiah. Messiah gave his life in our place. That's words we sing in one of the songs we do. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess him with honor and glory and praise from every part of our being that is physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. We worship him. We honor him. Therefore, we are exhorted to present our bodies, our emotions, our spirits, and minds to him in every biblical form of expression that he graciously teaches us. Make worship a daily part of your life. Don't just reserve it for Shabbat morning. Whether it is morning, noon, or night, you can worship him in your prayer life, when you drive to work. You can worship him when you're by yourself. You can worship him with your family. And you can worship him with friends. And I encourage you to do that, all three. In summary, God commands us to worship him. It is a commandment that you'll find Exodus, but you'll see it all the way through, even to the end in Revelation. When we worship, we invite God's presence. He literally inhabits our praise. God has shown us in his word that there are many ways to express our worship to him. In whatever way you express your worship, do it decently and in order, and do everything with love and respect to your fellow worshipers. Shabbat Shalom.